Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of Ruby Book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're reading Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope. And today we're going to be talking about the proc object, what happens when we change local variables after already calling Lambda, and calling Lambda more than once in the same scope. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along on your own Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find this week's reading? I think it was okay. I think I think overall the things that we learned were kind of interesting, particularly how a proc is represented. There were some things like, for example, the experiment we're going to look at where I think with some of the diagrams and some of the explanations, it could have been clearer. I remember reading things back a couple of times and looking over the diagrams a couple of times to work out, ah, that's what's happening. But I'm definitely getting used to the those representations. So it was easier to jump in than than the last couple of times. But yeah, so I would say it was mm-hmm. okay. It was It was not bad. What about you? Yeah, I think I had the same reaction. I was like, this is okay. Like, I feel like there were, I definitely have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And there were places where I thought, mm, I, I understand how we ended, or I understand the end result of this graphic, but I'm not really sure how we got here. Uh, and I had a lot of questions on, like, order. Like, does, is this the thing that triggered this other thing? Did this cause that other thing? You know, kind of trying to figure out the sequence of events. Um, so I had a bunch of questions about that. But overall, it wasn't... It was easier than last week's reading, <laughs> for me anyway. I think definitely, and it's also because we didn't have a long gap. But the other thing is, it's always nice to finish a chapter, so we wrapped up chapter eight. Yeah. Three more to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so shall we begin with the proc object? Let's do it. Okay, so we start by saying that uh, Ruby really has no structure called RB Lambda T. And um, is one of the things where I was like, Yes, we do remember that Ruby does not have that structure. I completely forgot about that from from last week's reading. Um, And so now we have to figure out, okay, so how does Ruby handle the proc object internally? So uh, here we look at the Lambda keyword, and we are told that Ruby's Lambda keyword is going to create a proc object, which is really just a wrapper for the block we pass to the Lambda or proc keyword. So we have a graphic that shows us a little bit about what that looks like. And this is figure 8-21. And so on the left, we have an RB proc T structure. And in that, we have an RB block T structure, I guess, a structure affair word to use there? Um, Yes, it's a structure. And so in that RB block T structure, we have an ISEC and an EP. And so the ISEC points to uh, what I believe are YARV instructions, and our EP points to the heap copy of stack frame. And so that combination of ISEC and EP hopefully looks familiar. We talked about it I don't remember if it was last chapter or the chapter before that, Um, but a few episodes back where that is what a closure is. So a closure has a function, which in this case is that ISEC and pointing to those URF instructions, and it has an environment, which is the EP pointing to that uh, heap copy uh, stack frame. So that is a closure. So here we're told that a proc is a Ruby object. And the way that it saves all of its object-related stuff is it uses a structure called R-typed data, which I don't think we've seen that before, right? No, that's new. That's new, right? Okay, cool. 
And uh, that, along with the RB proc T, represents an instance of the proc object. So if we go to figure 8-22, we can see all the different pieces that together create that proc object. So starting at the top, we have a value pointer, and it's pointing to a R-typed data structure. And in that, we have the R basic structure, which has flags and class. And then also in that R-typed data structure, we have a thing called data, and that is pointing to outside of the R-typed data structure, and it's pointing to a new structure, which is the RB proc T structure that we just reviewed uh, one figure ago. So we can see that we have two structures now that we kind of need to worry about, the R-typed data and then the RB proc T. And then inside the R-typed data structure, we have the RB basic structure. And then in that structure, we have class with a K. And that's pointing to yet another structure, which is the <laughs> R class structure. So there's a lot of structures going on, uh, but together they represent our proc object. Indeed. So on a high level, if we think about that R-typed data structure, it's a way that we can trick Ruby's C code to create a Ruby object wrapper around a C data structure. And I was like, okay, cool. So we need some <laughs> trickery. That's fine. We can we can go ahead and trick that. And so if we look at our R typed data structure, it has a couple of things that uh, hopefully look familiar. I know we talked about them, it feels like a while back. One, which is flags, which are the things that Ruby needs to keep track of uh, internally. And then we have class, which points to the Ruby class uh, that the object is an instance of. So those are two things that hopefully sound familiar. And so, yeah, those are the main components that represent our proc object. Yeah, and then what's cool, and I do like this diagram, uh, figure 8-23, where Pat puts side by side the R string structure, which we learned about earlier in the book, to this R-type data structure, because I think it wasn't until this point that I really understood what the whole R-type data structure thing was for. And when I saw it like this, I was like, oh, I get it. It's a way of having a normal Ruby object to represent, to wrap around this proc thing, which is strange. So mm -hmm, what we mm -hmm. see is he, we yeah. have the uh, R-string structure, which we, we, we're used to seeing. So it's got the value pointer into the top, and then we've got the R-string, and inside is the R-basic structure with flags and class with a K. And then outside of the R-basic structure, but inside the R-string structure, we have a string info representation where we know that that's any of the other metadata you need for a string. And mm -hmm. then side by side is the R-type data structure. And it, it's almost a mirror because you've got the value pointer. Again, the same R-basic structure with flags and class as you just described. But then where it says string info in R-string, this time it says data in R-type data. And that data is a pointer to the RB-proc-T structure. So you basically see how, yes, it's a way of wrapping up this closure logic. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, Yes, and that was really helpful. That figure 823 was so helpful to me because when I was looking at figure 8-22 with all the different things, I was like, oh my God, this is so much more complicated mm. than, you know, that I remember these things being. But then when I looked at 823, I thought, oh, it looks more complicated really to simplify it and to make it behave like all the other stuff. So it made me appreciate the different pieces a little bit more. Indeed. So shall we look at experiment 8-2? Yeah, let's do it. 
So Pat's got another experiment for us, and it's called changing local variables after calling Lambda. So experiment 8-2. So Pat brings back the code that we've seen in example 8-10 through to example 8-13. But this time there is a change. So example 8-14 says def message underscore function. str equals the quick brown fox. Then we've got func equals lambda do pipe animal close pipe. And then puts hash and then curly brackets str. So that's interpolating in the str string variable. Jumps over the lazy and then hash a curly brackets animal end. But this time, so this is where the difference is from the earlier examples. We've got str equals the sly brown fox and then func and then end. And then we do the same as before. We set the variable function value to equal message function. And then finally, we do function value.call passing in the argument dog. So the interesting thing here is that we call lambda uh, before we then change str from the quick mm -hmm. brown fox to the sly brown fox. And so what Pat says is because we know that Ruby copies the stack frame to the heap, including the original value of str, you would expect that we see the quick brown fox string. But when we run the code, we get the sly brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. So how come, even though we called lambda before the variable change, do we have the new value of str when we took a copy at the time that we yeah. called lambda? So now we're going to go back to some diagrams. Mm -hmm. At this point, Saron, did you have an idea for how this worked? No, I had no idea. I was like, uh-oh, how in the world? And when I saw the final answer, I was like, okay, I, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> not have guessed it at all. I assumed like maybe it was kind of like, um, uh, what was the example where we just made like another copy and then we pointed to that other copy that we did? Like I assumed it was something like that, but this is actually, the answer to this is simpler and not one I would have guessed. That was prepend I think you're talking about. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, guess what? I wanted you to be like, oh, did you get it? And then I was going to be like, no, I also didn't get it. But you didn't fall for that. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at figure 8-24, it just, it's a reminder of what happens when we call Lambda and how Ruby copies the stack frame. So what we've got is we've got the diagram split into two halves with a dash line. So the top is the stack and the bottom's the heap. And in the stack section on the right, We've got the stack frame for message function. So that's an RB control frame T structure with an environment pointer. And that points to the left to a dotted box, which is the RF internal stack. And we've got our lovely ladders. And for the stack frame that's mapped to the message function, we have the locals table, which has str equals the quick brown fox. And then we have an arrow down into the heap, which shows a copy of that stack frame. So we've got a lo lovely ladder again, or our stack. And again, the, a, a locals table copy with str equals the quick brown fox. So in eight, figure 8-25, Pat shows what we think might happen and why we don't expect to see a change. And that's in the stack copy, so in the Yav internal stack, the locals table has a change where str equals the sly brown fox. And the EP from the stack frame is still pointing at that locals table. And in the heap, we have str equals the quick brown fox. So the reason why we don't expect a change is because when we access that str variable, we're gonna be looking at the copy in the heap. And so that still says the quick brown fox. However, 
And it's funny, explaining it now, it sounds obvious where this is going to go. And I think yeah. maybe yeah. I'm the way I'm describing it is loaded because I know where it goes. Um, but what happens is, as we see in figure 8-26, when we call Lambda and, ch- and make a copy of, the, of Yav's internal stack in the heap, we, there's also another thing that happens, which is that the environment pointer stops pointing to the stack, the Yav internal stack, which is in the Ruby stack, and it now points to the heap. So when we call str equals the sly brown fox in example 8-14, Ruby goes, oh, which where's my environment? And because the EP is now pointing at the heap, Ruby modifies the str that's in the heap as opposed to the original value in the stack. So what we see in figure 8-26 is that the str in Yarv's internal stack still reads the quick brown fox, but the one in the heap now reads the sly brown fox. And so that's why we get the sly brown fox printed out and not the old value. Okay, so I have many feelings about this. Feeling number one is I don't like it because (laughs) I always thought that we had to go through the Yarv internal stack. Like I thought that was just... That was the path. Like the path was you go to the Yarv internal stack and then that's how you access the heap. So the fact that I'm pretty sure this is the first time we're just directly accessing the heap mm-hmm. from our stack frame made me very uncomfortable. And it made me wonder, okay, so then can we do that all the time? Is this like a one-time exception and it's very awkward and very expensive, but we're deciding to do it because we have no choice? Is this like a common thing that we can do and we might see a lot in the future? Uh, how important is the Yarvin tunnel stack really if we can just, you know, reassign the pointer and then we don't need it anymore? Um, it also really, really bothers me that the pointer between STR in the internal stack still points to the heap and there's a mismatch, right? Like the fact that STR equals a sly brown fox in the yeah. Yarvin tunnel stack, but then in the heap, STR equals the... So the fact that, that they're not me. the quick brown fox, that really annoys me. And I was really hoping that, um, you know, the whole, like, we'll just copy the STR or something that made it equivalent because that just feels like a problem. And if it's not a problem, then, like, why is it not a problem? Like, why don't they have to be the same? So I think the reason why it's not so scary and we shouldn't be too concerned is that both of these definitions, if we look back at the code in example 8-14, they all occur within def message function and all of that stuff, including the stack and what's in the heap, go away when we return from message function. So it is short-lived. Wait, say that one more time. So what I'm saying is it annoyed me too because it felt like things were out of sync and it didn't seem right. However, if we look at the code in example 8-14, the definition and redefinition of str all happen within inside the message function method. And so really all of it is short-lived. It's going to disappear as soon as we return from that function. And, ah, okay. And so really it's okay because even if we were to do other things within that method, once we've called lambda, we're always going to point at the heap. So it becomes irrelevant. Like we're never going to run yeah. into a, it's all short-lived anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So basically, all that crap really happens in like line three even, right? Like when we actually call Lambda and do stuff. And then once we come back from that call, it's over. Yes, it's all back to, we back to Yav internal stack. 
back to normal EP pointing at the right place. It's only yeah. because we've called, we have a method that calls Lambda that just for the life of that method, we have some craziness going on. Mm, okay. I hope that's true because that's the only way that I could be comfortable with this. Otherwise, I do not like it. Well, Pat, we know you like listening. So please uh, <laughs> comfort us and let us know that. Make us that feel better. True. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I guess the other question that I had with figure 8-26 was when the reassigning happened, I guess you kind of answered it, but just to confirm, the reassignment of the EP pointer to the heap instead of the stack, does that happen on dot .call, like actually when it's called, or does it happen, well, I guess it would have to happen then. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because. Okay, cool. Until you call that method, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yes, it has to. Yeah, it has to. Call lambda. Yeah, not when it's like defined. Yeah, because when you call the method message function, at some point lambda is called, and as soon as lambda right. is actually run, that's when the copy happens. That's when it cares, and that's yeah. when it point repoints. Yeah, that's when it's like, wait a minute, what is my str? Oh crap! And then it does some some mm -hmm. annoying, weird things. Okay, cool. So next we're going to look at what it looks like to call Lambda more than one time in the same scope. So here we are looking at listing 8-15, and this whole section starts with the statement that Ruby avoids making copies of the stack frame more than once, which made me feel like, okay, so maybe that's why there wasn't all that duplication that I was expecting, and it mm -hmm. just, you know, reassigned things instead of copying stuff over. And we're going to see this in action uh, in the following example. So listing 8-15, we have an example where we're calling lambda twice in the same scope. We start with the variable i. It is set to 0, so i equals 0. Then we have increment function equals lambda do. Then we have puts and then a string incrementing from interpolated i to interpolated i plus 1 end string. Then we have i plus equals 1. And then we end that lambda, so we're closing that lambda. Then we have decrement. De decrement decrement mm, I say that decrement. word decrement I'm not sure you know uh, yeah I haven't actually said that word a lot uh, I'm just gonna say decrement uh, function equals lambda do and then we have i minus equals one and the next line puts string decrementing from interpolated i plus one to interpolated i and string and then we end that lambda so now we call these functions a number of times. So we start with increment function.call, decrement function.call, increment function.call, increment function.call again, and then finally decrement function.call. So the idea is when we call these things in this order, what values are we expecting? So if Ruby used a separate copy for that i variable for each lambda function, then we would expect the output to read as follows. Incrementing from 0 to 1, decrementing from 0 to negative 1, incrementing from 1 to 2, incrementing from 2 to 3, decrementing from negative 1 to negative 2. So basically we're using a different i and we're kind of starting mm -hmm. from that new i each time. However, the actual results that we get, which are shown in listing 8-18, are incrementing from 0 to 1, decrementing from 1 to 0, incrementing from 0 to 1, incrementing from 1 to 2, 
decrementing from two to one. So we can see that the output of the previous call is like the input for the next call. So it's the same uh, which I. only yeah, which only makes sense if we have that same that we're using a single I over and over and over again. So Pat sums up this section by saying that, yeah, that's what we would expect. We would expect it to have one uh, one I, and we're just passing that same thing over and over again. And it does this by checking that EP pointer and seeing uh, where it's pointing to. It sees that it's already pointing to the heap. And so Ruby won't create a second copy. It'll just reuse the same RBNVT structure in the second RBPROCT structure. Wait a minute. This goes against what I said, right? Oh, wait, what did you say? Because this means that we call increment function call and we finish and we call another method, but it's the EP Oh, it stays at the heap. The heap. Yeah. <gasps> Ooh. I guess we do uh, go back to not liking it. I guess that. Yeah, is, I know. <laughs> I guess Ruby is suddenly, once you call a lambda, that's it. Your EP points are the heap. You're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no more heap. stack pointing for you. Only heap pointing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't like that now. (laughs) I don't like that. I agree. I do not approve Ruby. So can anyone listening confirm if that does happen? So once you call Lambda, your EP is now just pointing at the heap and that's where things happen. Yeah. And it makes me wonder is... Is there any way to like reset that? Like, is there something that we can do or we might want to do to make it point back at the stack? Is the stack just kind of irrelevant for because, lambdas after that? Yeah, yeah, because I'm right in thinking that, you know, looking at example 8-16, we call increment function dot call. So that sets up a new RB stack frame. But as soon as that finishes, that deletes that stack frame. And we're now calling decrement function dot call, which sets up a new one. So right. what is the resetting? Hmm. Yeah, and like, why isn't the resetting happening? Oh, 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 I have an answer for you. I have an answer for you. Maybe. Tell me. Okay, I think it's because that stack frame for message function, maybe that is made when we create message function versus when we call it. You are so right, because that one's different. That's actually got a def, def message mm-hmm. function, whereas mm-hmm. this one doesn't. Yep, you are mm-hmm. right. This is just, yeah. we're in the same stack frame because yeah. it's just lambda do end, lambda do end. But with message mm, function, it is short-lived because when it yep. ends that method, it does get deleted. Yep. You so smart, girl. Nailed it. Awesome. Okay, so shall we move on to summary? Let's do it. So here we are at the end of another chapter. So let's go over what we learned. So we saw how Yarv creates a new stack frame whenever you call a block, just as it does whenever... Wait a minute. <laughs> just, no, this goes against... <laughs> <what you said. laughs> okay, 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 okay. So it creates a new stack frame whenever you call a block. So lambda do is a block. Yeah. And when it calls... A method. Okay, okay, okay. Let, let's rewind. So if we go back to that def message function, mm-hmm. the moment in line, like right above line three, where it says function value equals message function, at that point, we have a new stack frame. But do we then have a stack frame within that specifically for the lambda do? Do we have two stack frames? Do you see what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I'm not sure of the answer. Because we have one for the call, but then inside the call, we have a block. Yeah, so I think we do. So we have two. Yeah. Because we've looked at this before. I think we do. Remember, we get a new YAV instructions and... Yeah. I think we get two of them. But maybe it lives within it or something. It's... Oh... Do you remember when we looked at stack frames on top of stack frames and how... Yep, that's what I was worried you'd say. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something yeah. about... What we're saying is still kind of right in terms of when it gets deleted or not. But I think mm -hmm. the overall... Remember the block. Do you remember we looked at this some chapters ago? The block references the outer scope environment. Remember we looked at this some chapters ago? Yep. So yeah, this yeah, is yeah. why it's still... I think everything we said is still right. It's just that it's... And it, when message function returns, yes, the stack frame's deleted. And yes, there is a new stack frame for Lambda, but it still uses the same environment for message function. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. So it's yeah. all good. We're good. Okay. All right. We're fine. So back to summary. <laughs> As, mm -hmm. And it says in chapter three. So it was chapter three when we saw that. Yeah. So wow, Yav creates a new stack frame whenever you call a block, just as it does when you call a method. Blocks are an implementation of the computer science concept of closures. And this is Ruby's version. So we have, and that's represented mm -hmm. by the RB block T structure. And as we learn, a closure is a combination of a function and an environment. And I actually put a note here saying that I do like that repetition because he said that quite a few times. And now in my head, I've got it. Yes, function and environment, function and environment. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he also says, the simplicity with which Ruby's syntax allows for this dual role is one of the language's most beautiful and elegant features. So this is the fact that blocks are similar to methods, but they also become part of a method that you call them from. And I highlighted that because Matt has said, he says quite often when asked what's his favorite part of Ruby or what, or what is he most proud of in the language? And he always says blocks, like he knows it. He doesn't mm. even hesitate. And yeah. I can see why it's quite clever. Mm -hmm. and then he says so we see how with the lambda keyword uh, we can treat functions as first class citizens we also looked at the difference between stack and heap memory and how mm -hmm. ruby implements lambdas and procs our favorite thing how ruby copies the stack frame to the heap when we call lambda or proc and then reuses it when you call the lambdas block and finally looking at how the proc object represents code as a data object in ruby so mm -hmm. lots of things in this chapter. Yeah, there were a lot of stuff in this chapter. I was like, oh my goodness, we did we did a lot of learning. The next one's going to be interesting, metaprogramming. <gasps> Ooh, oh man, that's going to give me a headache. I can already feel it. Mm. <laughs> so this week, the reading for me was... Mm, so between a six and a seven. I think, I think I'll do a seven. I think it was a lot better and easier talking through it with you like a lot of pieces fell into place once we had the conversation still some questions about you know resetting and i don't like the way that it works but that's not <laughs> pat's fault so it's okay what about you everything you just said i echo so yep. seven for same reasons and i was hovering between a six and a seven as well oh my goodness i think this is the first time we have the same score no we had the first no a few times for the first few weeks okay I always thought I went a little bit lower because I was always angry. <laughs> no, didn't you just go higher? Remember, you've oh, given tens, and that's true. That's true. I have given, but I think in general, you probably are lower. Yes. Yeah. On average. Yeah. 
So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!